All parents have ways of keeping children healthy. Are you a parent with a long list of healthy behaviors, or do you have shortcuts to staying healthy? Today, we're talking about germs, and are they friend or foe for your family? This is Parent Savers. Faster than a speeding toddler. Sit still for just a minute. Can soothe boo-boos with a gentle kiss. Did you get down from there? Able to clean poopy bottoms in a single swipe. Oh, what did you eat? Turning frazzled mommies and daddies into procreators of peace and harmony. Ah, quit touching me. It's Parent Savers, empowering new parents everywhere. Welcome to Parent Savers. Parent Savers is your online, on-the-go support group for parents with infants and toddlers. I'm your host, Alicia Gonzalez. Thanks so much to our loyal listeners who join us every time a new episode is released, and for those who continue these conversations with us on Facebook and Twitter. Make sure to check out our Parent Savers app so you can listen to all of the episodes wherever you go. Here's Sunny with details on how you can get involved with Parent Savers. All right. Hi, everybody. So you guys probably already know Alicia, but I wanted to just kind of give you guys an overview of what's happening here on Parent Savers. Uh, So Alicia has been a guest on our show in the past. She's participated in a bunch of episodes. We've had a lot of fun with her. And uh, John and I wanted to invite her to be uh, one of the new hosts on the show. So you're going to be hearing more and more from Alicia. So um, odds are you've heard of, you know, you've heard her voice before, but just kind of wanted to make that distinction. John is still part of everything. Um, And now we've added Alicia and we're so excited to have her as part of the show. So if you guys are regular listeners of the show and you're thinking, you know, I would really like to be part of these shows too. We have made it, you know, more simple than ever for you to join our shows. And I say that because now instead of everybody that's participating in the show needing to meet in a studio type of environment and recording that way, now we are recording all from our own separate home computers. So what does that mean? That means you don't have to hire a babysitter or you don't have to live in the San Diego area in order to be part of our show. So you can record straight from the convenience of your own home computer. You just need to have either a desktop or a laptop, uh, the Google Chrome browser. That's what works best with our equipment. And, uh, you know, just a good internet speed and you're good to go. So we're always looking for new parents to participate in the show. If you're interested in doing that, please go to our website at newmommymedia.com. Click on the banner that says, hey, you're a parent, you want to participate. When you do that, you can fill out a very quick online form that's just gives us more information about you. You can also join our closed Facebook group, and that link is right there on the page. That's where we post all of our times and our topics, and you can find out what we're doing across all of the new Mommy Media shows. So not just Parent Savers, but all of our shows. And so we're so excited to get to know you a little bit more. So please click on that link for more information, and we hope to see you online soon. Thanks, Sunny. Okay, let's meet everyone joining our conversation today. My name is Alicia Gonzalez. As you know, I've been on the show before. I have four children. I have two girls, ages 8 and 10, and two boys, ages 3 and 6. And uh, I feel like I know a lot about germs. This is the perfect topic for today. (laughs) (laughs) And with us, Sunny. (laughs) Yeah, and I'm Sunny. And um, I'm in the two boys, two girls club, too. (laughs) Nice and even that way. So my oldest, two, I have a a five-year-old and a three-year-old. Those are boys. And then I have twin girls that um, are uh, about two and a half now. And yeah, germs. I'm actually really excited for this conversation because I have a tendency to fall on the side of there's just so many germs for me to consider that my brain just kind of internally explodes and then I choose not to think about it at all. So I don't, I'm not sure that's the healthiest way to view it. Um, so I'm hoping for some answers today to kind of figure <laughs> out, well, okay, with four kids, how do you really do this? You know, how do you, how do you make sense of all of this? So excited to be part of the conversation today. 
And I'm uh, Benjamin Tanner. I'm a microbiologist who lives near Austin, Texas. I have a 10 and a half month old little boy. Uh, so at this point in my life, I'm seeing the academic uh, information I picked up throughout school and in my sort of job experience blend with the real life experience of raising a 10 and a half month old. All right. So before we kick off stuff today, we're going to do a segment that's fairly new to Parent Savers, but I really like it. And I, I made up this segment because sometimes I just look at uh, my three-year-old and even my two-year-old twins now, and I'm just like, what up with that? What are you doing? I do not understand the mind of a toddler most of the time. And so I thought, well, why don't we create a whole segment about that that's called What Up With That? So uh, this is actually something that we've partnered with the Smart Mom app to do. So if you haven't checked out Smart Mom. It is a free download and it's awesome because this is, and it's not just for moms, just want to make it very clear, but there are a lot of moms on there. And it's basically a huge forum that moms can participate in. And the nice thing is, is that moms, you know, post questions and then other moms answer those questions. And when you do that, you can earn prizes and things like that. So it's not just the incentive of, hey, I want to help out another mom. That is part of it, of course. But the other side of it is, hey, I could win some swag here and uh, you get points and stuff like that. So please check it out again, free download, um, I believe on iOS and for Android. And so through this app, um, we have this response for our What Up With That segment. And this comes from a mom, her name is Evelyn. And I think we can all relate to this, but this is what Evelyn says. She says, my daughter puts everything in her mouth. She licks it first and then in her mouth it goes. <laughs> and we don't know because she didn't post like how old her daughter is. But this kind of <laughs> continues for a while. Even Ben, you, you can probably understand, you know, your 10 and a half month old boy is probably putting stuff in his mouth all the time, right? Oh, he is. Yeah. Everything goes in there. I think even relative to other kids, he seems to put more stuff in his mouth. <laughs> <laughs> I wonder what it is about that, you know, because us, you know, as adults, we're like, oh, but obviously, you know, I thought this was, you know, a good comment for our whole conversation today about germs. Obviously, they're, they're not thinking about little germs, you know, crawling all over everything before they put it in their mouth. Do you think that that's part of it, Ben? You know, it's funny. So I've spent a lot of time thinking about that because I'll sit there and watch him pick things up that could be contaminated with germs. As a microbiologist, I kind of have this germ vision of things and I can tell <laughs> what things are more risky to touch and handle and which ones are less. And I'll see him handling something that's a little more risky. And, and I think to myself, why do kids put everything in their mouth? I think there's a lot of aspects to it. So there's obviously the tactile bit of it, you know, feeling things with your tongue. There's a learning how to eat component, which I think is huge. And so I think that's oh, there's some practice involved. They're just manipulating the mouth. Uh, but I think there might be, from an evolutionary perspective, an element of germs to this where your digestive tract is filled with literally trillions of microorganisms. Um, and the more diverse a population of microorganisms you have in your gastrointestinal tract, generally the more healthy it is. And so I kind of wonder if it's kind of programmed into children to essentially seed their gastrointestinal tracts by putting everything in their mouth. And you can actually see some real-life examples of where it's protective to them. Um, specifically, everybody on this call probably knows um, that children aren't supposed to eat honey, right? Yeah. Well, the reason is there's this yeah. bacterium, a spore that you can find in raw honey that can cause botulism. And it's only an issue with children up, up until the time they're about a year old. And it's only an issue until they're a year old because that's 
the period in their life when they don't have this healthy, balanced gut flora. And so my thought is maybe it's really important. Maybe the risks of not having all those germs introduced into the gut uh, actually outweigh the risks of the occasional pathogen or illness that will come along with putting something in their mouth. So, so yeah, I've, I've thought about this a lot because <laughs> it, it, it gives me a little bit of concern every time you put something in his mouth that I wouldn't put in my own mouth. You know? Right. <laughs> and Alicia, with four kids, yeah, you know, I know you've seen a lot of stuff go into the mouths of your kids that probably shouldn't, right? <laughs> yes, I'm very thankful that I don't have the microbiologist view. <laughs> I know, right? My, Me too. Yeah. <laughs> After this discussion, I hope to give you guys a little bit of the microbiologist view. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> Awareness, I don't know. <laughs> um, uh, for some reason, I remember, well, when I was growing up, my mom had a daycare in our house. And so I know I had a lot of experience with little kids and what they did and never really thought about it, of course, because I was young. And then before I had my first, I learned or I read somewhere that um, kids putting things in their mouth is kind of how they explore it. They don't have uh, the ad advanced touch or senses or anything, but their taste senses is pretty advanced compared to the others. And so uh, I never really worried about it. Of course, I didn't let them go outside, but it, it kind of was entertaining to me to watch them find different ways to get it in their <laughs> mouth. Even if I took it out, then they'd touch it with their finger and put their finger in their mouth. <laughs> right. So I right. made it there somehow. But um, so I just kind of let them do it because to me, they were exploring their world. So I just right. kind of kept an eye on what they were looking, what, what they were licking. <laughs> What they were licking. Yeah, of course. So yeah, I mean, sometimes you just kind of got to throw your hands up in the air and go, you, you will drive yourself crazy, honestly, if you try to keep yes. everything out of your kids' mouths. And I'm sure we're going to dive into that a little bit later in the episode. But uh, thanks to Evelyn for submitting this. And again, check out the Smart Mom app. Grand Canyon University makes earning your degree possible with over 130 academic programs for traditional campus students with more than 80 bachelor's programs offered online. GCU provides you with the personal support you need from complimentary unofficial transcript evaluations within 24 business hours to scholarships, academic support, and your GCU graduation team led by your own university counselor. Find your purpose at GCU. Private. Christian. Affordable. Visit gcu.edu. Today, we're talking about kids and germs with germ expert, Dr. Benjamin Tanner. He runs a disinfectant testing lab near Austin, Texas. Welcome, Dr. Ben. Hi, thanks for having me. So what do you think? Are today's parents germ-phobic? Well, it ranges. So uh, <laughs> if, you, if you just observe parents, especially out in public, uh, you'll see a range of behavior in terms of how scared of germs they are and how attuned even to the concept of infection they are. So you have on the one end of the spectrum, parents who have the hand sanitizer almost like in a holster on their hip, you know, ready to go at a moment's notice. And then on the other end of the spectrum, you'll have parents who really don't care what their kids do, and they just kind of let them do what kids do. I think the parents on the former end have a lot more anxiety. Um, but that being said, I suspect they probably have slightly fewer illnesses at home. We'll talk about some details there. Generally speaking, I don't think parents are germ-phobic in the U.S., I think they are a bit misinformed. I like to see parents um, expending a little bit of energy thinking about infection, thinking about preventing infection. But there's a lot of information that's not as grounded in science as it could be. I've spent the last 10 years of my professional life learning about germs and then the last year of my life raising a youngster and seeing it firsthand. So I like to think I, I have a fairly dialed in 
system of infection prevention. So no, I don't think they're germphobic. Uh, I would like to see them focus their energies on maybe like some more selective areas of life where infections really are likely to come about and maybe let some things go um, where infections are less likely. And I know when you said relative, I also think it depends on how many children. First-time parents tend to be a little more uh, anxious about it, as you mentioned, having the hand sanitizer more within reach. And then as more kids come, you get a little more lax. What do you think, Sunny? I know I was like that. (laughs) Um, I can't even say. Okay, so I have something that I have to admit here that I'm not really proud of. I think even as an adult, like I should be washing my hands more. I I have I never picked up on that even as an adult. Like I mean, obviously I'm I'm I don't want to give the impression that I'm like this dirty dirty person. But like I just know that even before I had kids, I I didn't really think about germs that much. And even when my kids were born with baby number one, like I, I mean I was a little concerned when my son you know started putting stuff into his mouth, but. I don't know. I I don't think I ever really went through that. Oh, my gosh, my kids are touching stuff. Like if it was something really gross, like even I don't know, even now, like four kids later, right? Just last, I think it was yesterday, we were outside in the backyard and my kids were playing with a bug. And I was kind of like, should I go over there? As long as they don't, you know, if they start to put it in their mouth, I might be a little concerned. But (laughs) I wasn't even concerned they were playing with a bug. I was just like, did I make them wash their hands afterward? No. Like, I don't I don't know. So, yeah, I think um, I I don't think I started out as being a germaphobe. But whatever I started out with, I'm I'm definitely even less than that. (laughs) (laughs) Whatever that is. I would like the analogy that uh, for your first child, when they drop their pacifier in the ground, you uh, put it through the dishwasher, you know, sanitize it somehow. Oh, yeah. The second one, you rinse it underwater. For the third one, you pop it in your mouth. And for the last (laughs) one, you just kind of wipe it on their clothes and stick it back in. (laughs) Yes. And and we went through that. Yeah. So. (laughs) Bottles the same way. (laughs) Yes. Oh. So what do you think, Dr. Tanner? Are any germs good for kids? That's a good question. So, um, and with this, maybe we can dive kind of deeper into the germophobia thing and I'll uh, share with you guys my tactics that I use that, like I said, are kind of a blend of my academic schooling and then my uh, real life practicality as a parent. So first thing to understand about germs is that the germs you hear about on the news represent this tiny fraction of the microorganisms that are alive around your body, on surfaces around you, in your body, etc. It's like the 0.001% of germs that you hear about. The rest of the germs just go and live their life, and they're not interested in causing disease in a human. So any moist part of your body, like an armpit, between your toes, your mouth, your digestive tract, is just loaded with microorganisms. And most of them aren't there to hurt you, and they don't even have the genetic machinery to hurt you. They're just there to live and breed if they can. And those germs just aren't a concern. But like I said, there's billions of them. The germs that are a concern are really the ones that have the tools to cause disease. And that's kind of how they've evolved and succeeded is by specifically by causing disease. So the question, are there any germs that are good for kids? Kind of like some microorganisms help break down food in the digestive tract. You could say that's good. But really, it's just they're not harmful. You can think of them as being neutral. Don't hurt. Don't really help. There are a specific group of germs we call pathogens, and those cause disease. That's like salmonella, the flu, rhinovirus, which causes colds, and all of the microbes that children get vaccinated against. That would be like poliovirus, rotavirus kids get nowadays, all those germs. They're the nasty ones to watch out for. So like I wouldn't give children probiotics, for example. Uh, I just don't think they need them. They get plenty of exposure. It's not so much you try to introduce them to good germs. You just try to keep them away from those really bad actors. Interesting. 
So it's more just not worrying about it too much because most of them aren't going to affect you anyways. Exactly. So let's talk specifically about avoiding bad germs. As a microbiologist, I have an idea of where the populations of germs are to avoid, and let me share that with you. Let's say you're changing an ordinary diaper, right? This is kind of a gross fact, but it's something you all should know, which is that fecal matter is 50% bacteria by weight. So you're, when you're, if you get a little poop on your hands, you have a lot of bacteria on your hands. If the child is healthy, and you can tell as a parent if your child is having some intestinal problems or if they're, if they're normal and healthy, if the child is healthy, you can think of pretty much all those germs as just neutral germs. Um, nothing really to be too concerned about. So you don't have to go overboard with the hygiene in that regard. But when the child is sick, so when they have diarrhea, what you're seeing is their intestinal response to one of those bad germs, the pathogens, multiplying like crazy in the intestines. And the intestines are literally trying to flush the pathogen out. And when that's happening, the population of those bad germs is really high. And it only takes, for a lot of these microbes, one to make you sick. So let's say one to a thousand germs. And so when you perceive your child is sick, that's sort of when you want to kick in into hygiene mode. And for example, I re and I really do this, if I change a diaper and my son has diarrhea, then as soon as I'm done changing, I make sure his hands are clean, you know, he didn't touch anything bad, and then I go and wash my hands as well. Uh, and that's an example of where you can kind of step up hygiene to avoid the bad germs. The other big one to keep in mind, well, there's actually two more. One great big one is vaccination. So the microorganisms that we have developed vaccines against, they make for some really nasty infections. By and large, the vaccines are very safe. That's a really simple and easy thing parents can do to prevent their children getting infected from some really nasty pathogens. So I'm, I'm a big proponent of vaccines. That being said, with my own child, I spaced them out and broke them from the big groups. Typically, they give vaccines in groups of three or four nowadays. That's mainly just to increase compliance from parents and actually make sure the kids get all the vaccines. But if you're a responsible parent who's committed to getting your kid all their vaccines, you can just stagger them a little bit. And the advantage of that is that it's not such a big shot to the immune system uh, when you get all of them at once. It doesn't matter if they do. There's really no data saying that it's harmful, but it's sort of something you can do to make the vaccines maybe a little bit more tolerable for the child. So when your kid is sick, that's sort of a hot zone for germs. Get your vaccines because those germs are really nasty. You want to avoid those. And then the last one that should be of concern for parents is preparation of meat products. So specifically chicken and certain fresh produce and beef, like ground beef or hamburger. Those food products routinely contain uh, germs that make an adult pretty darn sick, meaning like diarrhea for four to seven days, fever, all that stuff. But when children get them, it can be really bad. It can rapidly dehydrate them. And then the big one is uh, there's a particular strain of E. coli you find in hamburger and sometimes in raw spinach that is called E. coli 0157H7. And when that infects children, it nails their kidneys and, and it can really cause problems for life. So when you're preparing food, use ordinary, you know, good food handling practices. But certainly if you're ever like cooking a hamburger for a child, you know, like a young kid who's going to eat a little nibble of the hamburger, let's say, make sure that's cooked well done. You know, if you avoid those hot spots of germs, you're off to a really good start. Thank you. That's such great information. I never thought about the, the idea that when my kids are sick, uh, that their system is trying to flush the those pathogens out. And so mm -hmm. to kind of kick it up as far as keeping it all hands washed. I know that during sick season, that's what they tell all the kids, make sure you wash your hands a lot. And But I never really put that together. So thank you for that. And then the, the vaccine information, I can see where you're going with why they kind of give them in bulk, because it's less times that parents have to bring their kids to the doctor. And so then they, they have less chance of skipping that, but breaking them down and making sure they get there on time. That's just great advice. So thank you for that. 
I have a follow-up question just about germs themselves. And maybe it differs depending on what kind of germ it is. Um, but when you were using the example of like, you know, I'm thinking about diaper changes because my twins are still in diapers. So I'm, you know, my house is covered in diapers. Anyway, and when I'm changing a diaper, like if you get something on you, do germs just stay wherever they're planted? I have this image of germs jumping and hopping and it may start on my hand and you know, climb up my arm or somewhere else. Like, does it depend on the germ or how, how do they move around? How do they get to other places on your body? Yeah, great question. So first thing to know about germs is that for the most part, your average germ, when it's dry, it's dead. It's not entirely true. There's always a few survivors, but for the most part, the population will rapidly decrease just from okay. drying. So most of these germs live in wet environments, and when you put them in a dry environment, they croak. It's kind of like tadpoles. Like tadpoles live in water. <laughs> if you take them out of the water and it dries out, they're not going to do too well. You know, you might have that one tough tadpole who lives a little longer than the rest, but that's, right. that's a, actually a pretty good. I've never used that analogy. That's a pretty good analogy. <laughs> that's a good analogy. <laughs> okay, so that's so, so that's, there's a natural attenuation of microbial populations on surfaces over time, which is great. Mm -hmm. Otherwise, the entire world would be contaminated. Right. Um, so let's say someone who has, has a cold, they sneeze on a surface, and they deposit some rhinovirus on the surface. Typically, within a day, you'll have 90% less. The next day, you'll have 90% less than that, and so on. And generally speaking, within a week, those germs are dead and gone. But you asked about transport. Uh, yeah. and that's been studied. So my former advisor, uh, his name's Chuck Gerba. He's a great microbiologist. He did an interesting study where he quantified the transmission rate from touch. And it turns out if you touch a hard surface with your hand, about 10% of the germs on the hard surface will transmit to your fingers. And then if you put your fingers in your mouth, it's about another 10%. If you touch a soft surface like fabric or carpet or something porous, the transfer efficiency is much less. So as a rule of thumb, I tell people 10% surface to hand, 10% hand to mouth. But with germs, it's all a numbers game. And a lot of these only take one to make you sick. So you you kind of can never be too careful, but that's how they spread. They don't jump. Okay. Microbes do swim, but they are, these are tiny things. They're not like dolphins. They don't cover a lot of ground. They go <laughs> tiny distances, and they can only do that if they're in free-floating water. Um, okay. So for the most part, if germs are moving, it's because something is physically moving them. So like they're moving around your house on a toy, for example. Um, uh, okay. Yeah, and we call those fomites in our industry, which just means an inanimate surface that can be contaminated with microbes. So watch out for the community pools because that could be swim literally swimming with germs. But other than that, if you get something on your hand, it's not going to like – I just – I don't know. I, I think a fleas or something is just like jumping all over me. Oh, that's so true. So so as a general rule, when you're around water, like when you're – like recreational water exposure is huge for outbreaks. And the outbreaks we see from surfaces tend to be kind of sporadic. The outbreaks we see from food and from recreational water uh, are like textbook. I mean it will be like – 100 people visited the community pool, and then 70 of those 100 people three days later have cryptosporidium infection, let's say. Right. From oh a contaminated surface, it's like, you know, maybe the, a high attack rate would be like 10%. Mm -hmm. In a hospital, you can get up to 50%, um, but that's where people are staying in the same room for weeks at a time. Right. So they will stay on surfaces like hard toys. Like if your child has a toy that they play with one day and, you know, leave germs the next day that there's, there's still germs on that or only if it's wet? Yes. Yeah, so let's say your kid has like a diaper blowout and then grabs a toy. So 
they're going to surely deposit some germs onto that hard surface. Those germs will be very potentially dangerous for the first day, much less potentially dangerous the second day, and then by a week, kind of negligibly dangerous just because the inoculum is drying out and that's really hard on the microorganisms. Okay. For most of the germs you find in poop, they tend to be really susceptible to drying because their home is the intestines. Some of the germs that cause colds can live for a long time on surfaces, and that's where we get into disinfection. So what I do and what I recommend other people do uh, with regard to toys is let the kids play with the toys. Don't freak out about washing them so regularly. But if your child is sick, and certainly if they have a playmate who's sick or a sibling, then I prefer a dilute bleach solution. We're talking about like half a cap full in a quart of water. And then just dunk the toys in that if they can be dunked. If not, just wipe them down. If it's a fabric toy and you can wash it in the washing machine, great. That tends to knock germ levels right down. So when there's someone sick, it's kind of like increase the hygiene awareness and then start to use disinfectants and things to kill those germs that might not just die off over time. Well, thank you. I learned I'm doing something right. I've never really worried about toys too much unless someone's sick is over or unless yeah. someone goes home and, you know, is sick that evening or the next day, then I'll wash everything that was played with. But, oh, yay. Finally. No, that's perfect. <laughs> that, that's a great approach. And really what you're doing when you do that is you're getting the best of both worlds. So you're, you're getting the benefit of the disinfectant with regard to reducing microbial populations that can make your kids sick. But when there's no real risk present, you're not potentially exposing children to the risks of disinfectants, which, I mean, honestly, they're not that big. They're like eye irritation, potentially a little bit of stomach irritation if they were to ingest like some residual on the toy. I mean, that being said, definitely keep disinfectants out of reach of your children. The liquid disinfectant itself, if they were to ingest that, would be terrible. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. But no, you're doing that great. That's a perfect approach. That's just what I do at home, too. Thanks. (laughs) Thanks. <laughs> so you talked about parents being misinformed. You've talked a lot about different views, you know, vaccines, all these different things that people believe. What do you think is the biggest germ myth? Yeah, that one's easy. The biggest germ myth is this thing called the hygiene hypothesis. So it came out maybe 10, 15 years ago. There was some research done on how exposure to microorganisms in youth relates to allergy and asthma later in life. And they, and they found something pretty interesting, uh, which is that if children who are raised in more sort of germy environments, like they're talking about children who grew up on farms and so on, tend to have less allergies and asthma later in life than children who are raised in more sterile environments. Um, and I think they typically use urban environments as an example of that. Unfortunately, that, that original research is not replicating out as well as it should. So it's an interesting phenomenon. There's, there's certainly some truth to it. It's not a one-for-one relationship though. So if you're raised in the country, does that mean you're not going to get allergy and asthma later in life? No, it's not. It's not quite that perfect of a relationship. So that being said, what happened, unfortunately, about, I don't know, eight, 10 years ago was the media really confused the message. And they interpreted that to say, if you're raised with more germs when you're young, you're going to get sick less when you're older. Allergies and asthma, not the same thing as getting sick. And the way I say it to people is like, you know, getting a hepatitis infection doesn't prevent you from getting HIV later in life, you know, and that's just one kind of extreme example. But but it really is the case with other infections. If a kid gets let's say you expose your kid to to smallpox when they're little, does that prevent them from getting rhinovirus, you know, a common cold? The next year, not at all. Each of these different germs has to be fought off by the immune system specifically. And there's a little benefit, immunologically speaking, to someone who's sick all the time in terms of fighting off infections later. 
but that's outweighed by the damage that all those sicknesses can do when the kids are little. So I, I do my best to keep my youngster from getting sick if I can avoid it because there's not a lot of benefit to it. And even to get a little bit of benefit, you'd have to make the poor kids sick all the time, which is likely to hurt them, uh, you know, interfere with development and so on. So that's by far the biggest myth. And it's really just sort of a misappropriation of the hygiene hypothesis. So yes, it's true. If kids get more germ exposure when they're young, they tend to have less allergy and asthma later in life. It is not true that if they get sick more when they're young, they get sick less when they're older. Interesting. So when we come back, we'll talk even more about germs and your kids. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome back. Today, we're talking about germs, friend or foe for your family. So usually what I do, I don't stress too much about trying to keep my kids fighting those off. And so I've never been one to take my kids around someone who's sick, or if something's going around school to try and get them in it early, you know, I usually just kind of go the normal route. If they come down with something, we do it. We talk about hand washing and, you know, not holding hands, you know, if something's running through the school, not exchanging things at school, holding hands, those kind of things and to wash more often, but I don't try and get them sick or I don't try and not sterilize everything so they don't get sick. And so do you think that's an okay balance just to not stress over that? Or should I be more adamant on the other side of it where it's keeping them from getting sick? You can use sort of like a selfish metric for this one. <laughs> so really like, it, it's like if you can avoid your children getting sick, then that saves you a lot of work as a parent. And so that's one of my main motivations. Like, I know there's no real benefit if they get sick. I know my life gets way harder if they get sick. So I generally try to avoid it. That's a concept maybe not everyone understands too. There's like a lag time with infection. So it takes a little while for the germ to make its home in the body and start replicating. And, and it takes a while before you see symptoms. And so with most infections, you'll see a lag time of about three days from the time they're exposed until the time they actually show symptoms. So with foodborne disease, everyone, if they get a, a tummy ache, they're like, oh, it was the thing I ate right before I got the tummy ache. Typically, it's actually the thing you ate like three days beforehand. One tip I could share would be if you know children or adults are sick, try to quarantine your children from them. Like, you know, the adults can be around them. They're not very likely to get sick because uh, they have very well-developed immune systems and they just don't touch everything. Uh, and they're also typically not the center of attention, you know, where everyone wants to grab them and put them right in their face. But yeah, I mean, if someone's sick, I definitely keep my kid away from them because I just don't want my kid to get sick. <laughs> okay, I'll have to be better about that. <laughs> I was yeah. much better when they were babies, but once they're a year, I'm much more lax on that. So I'll, I'll try and be better. <laughs> Like when children go in daycare, for example, they really do get exposed to a lot more pathogens. And, and that's just a, a fact of life. So my wife and I are, are probably about to transition our child into daycare pretty soon. And that's a big consideration is it's, you know, we anticipate a dramatic uptick in the number of illnesses when he goes to daycare just because he'll be exposed to other kids who are sick. So and, but that's kind of part of life. And you have to balance that against, you know, work and all, the, all those other things. That sickness usually comes immediately. I know uh, we didn't have daycare situations when my children were little, but all of them went to preschool. And within a week of starting preschool, every single one of them had come down with something. 
Yeah. And that's exactly what happened to my family this last weekend. So we put uh, my twins in daycare and I, I didn't even think about the whole germ thing. I mean, I've been through this with, you know, my first child, my second child, and now three and four, but it didn't even click. And within the first two days, they had this kind of eye infection. It looked like kind of like gross little boogers in their eyes or something. It was horrible. And so I was like, what is going on here? And they had it for about a week. I mean, they're fine now, you know, but I was like, oh, that's right. We started daycare all the Yeah, that's called conjunctivitis when they get inflammation in the eyes. And those viruses that cause that are exactly the ones where it takes one to make you sick and they tend to live on surfaces for a real long time. So, So on the subject of daycare, you know, if you're looking at daycare providers, you really want to have an eye to hygiene when you look around. So, you know, if you can see dirt on the toys, that tells you they're not cleaning them enough. Um, A daycare environment is a place where you should have elevated hygiene for sure. There's actually, you know, federal and state rules for it. But that's something, if you're thinking about daycare, really, you know, ask some questions. Do you use disinfectants? How to use disinfectants? When to use disinfectants? How frequently do you clean? Um, and, and how frequently do you clean fomites or those, those shared objects that can be touched by one child and the next? I can't wait to ask the preschool how often they clean fomites. <laughs> <laughs> They're like, what? They're like, what? what? For what? My favorite thing this week. <laughs> <laughs> so on that, you've mentioned disinfectant a lot. Um, what what are your feelings about antibacterial soaps in general? We keep getting different information. Sometimes it's you know it's necessary. Other times you're killing good germs. You know we already had that conversation about how germs are either bad or neutral. So what are your feelings about antibacterial soaps? Yeah, that's a topic I know a lot about. I was just starting an industry. I just had my PhD when. Uh, scientists first started to do the big studies to really answer that question. And the question is, well, first question is, do antibacterial soaps work? I'll, I'll get to that in just a moment. The second question is, are antibacterial things in general bad or good? And the main concern is that you'll make super bugs if you use antibacterial consumer products. Um, and so I got to see a lot of that research done from start to finish. It turns out the superbug thing is not such a risk. So the mechanisms that make superbugs aren't really going to come about from antibacterial consumer products like soaps. But then recently, it's not so much new research, just as people have put together a lot of old research and realized that antibacterial hand soaps are really no better solving the germ problem than regular soap. Uh, the way soap works is it removes microorganisms. A lot of these antibacterial soaps don't even really have enough time to act when they're just briefly on the hands. Um, so FDA came out a couple years ago. Um, they're actually in the process of removing antibacterial claims from soaps because uh, there's no benefit and you just get a little bit of extra chemical exposure for no reason. So plain soap is all you need. It's just as good as antibacterial soap for removing microorganisms from your hands when you wash them. Uh, and good hand washing, that's something you should teach your kids after they use the restroom wash their hands. And then on the other side that you have antibacterial products like disinfectants and hand sanitizers. So so like I said, antibacterial soaps, don't pay extra for antibacterial in a soap. It's not going to get you anything. However, disinfectants actually kill germs chemically. Uh, those are a good tool to have in your toolbox as a parent. And then hand sanitizer is pretty effective against uh, bacteria. So these would be the germs that you'll find in chicken and so on. So let's say you're in the grocery store, for example, and you grab uh, some raw chicken and you get like raw chicken juice on your hand. That's not uncommon. And they have hand sanitizer next to the poultry aisle. Definitely go use the hand sanitizer. It's going to be really effective at killing whatever germs are potentially in that raw um, chicken juice. And when it comes to colds, hand sanitizer aren't so good. Colds really spread by aerosols. Um, so like, you know, airborne sneeze particles and things. Um, and the types of colds that spread 
by surfaces um, tend to not be so susceptible to hand sanitizers. So, so hand sanitizers for me aren't as attractive as hand washing, but they do work and they're, they're especially handy when you're thinking about food and handling food. You just busted a myth for me. The one time that I am adamant about using hand sanitizer is after I get gas, after I pump gas. For some reason, the handle and everything just seems so germ-filled with me. And so I keep it in my car. So as soon as I get done pumping gas, put the thing back on the pump and get in. The first thing I do is sanitize my hands like crazy because just to me, it's so full of everything. But what I'm hearing is uh, I probably... Need to be more worried about the chicken juice in the, the grocery store, which I never even think about. <laughs> Go crazy with the hand sanitizer after the raw meats. You know, the, the gas pump's an interesting example because the bottom of it's metal. And for whatever reason, when we swab surfaces in the lab, we just don't find germs on metal surfaces like we do on other surfaces. Like the metal ions literally interfere with the ability of the germs to live. So generally, that's why bathroom handles aren't as much of a risk as you'd think they are because they're typically metal and they just don't support that much viable microbe microbial population. Um, Then the top side of the gas handle is exposed to sunlight typically and drying forces as well. Uh, Sunlight's (laughs) a great disinfectant. And then if the breeze is blowing over it, whatever's on there is going to dry out right away. So so good news for you, which is the, the gas handle, not such a concern. That is fascinating. I'm so fascinated. And you know what you guys were talking about grocery stores and stuff like that. And I don't know if you guys have this where you live, but um, the grocery store that we always go to has one of those hand sanitizers where you can kind of pump some stuff on your hands. I think they have wipes too. So you can wipe down the handle because, you know, Alicia's concern about the gas pump um, is my concern when I go grocery shopping and I go to grab the handle. I'm like, oh my gosh, you know, who has been touching this? Yes. Yeah, that's the same concern. My grocery store has the same wipes. I've never used them. Instead, what I do is I try to pick the shopping cart that looks like it's been in, just sitting there for a long time. Because in the sun? Are, oh, oh, if I can that cart in the sun, I'm golden. Especially before I put my kid in it, right? Because he's, I mean, yeah. literally, he chews on the straps. I, I don't buckle yes. him in like I shouldn't. He just puts them in his mouth. But if it's been sitting out in the sun for any amount of time, it's it's effectively sterile. So, yeah, if you can get the shopping cart in the sun, that's that's the most sterile one out there. Oh, that's We funny. are learning so much today. This is We great. are. <laughs> yeah, and if you can't, then just use the wipes on the handle and call it a day. This means I'm going to be pushing carts from the parking lot into the store for the first time ever. Get them out of the sun. <laughs> right. Oh, the stores are going to love you, Alicia. <laughs> exactly. They're going to wait for me to come. I'll bring everything. Right. <laughs> and next, I want to talk about bathing. I know in my personal area of desire for my kids when my when I have babies, I tend to extend out the length of days between bathing. And to me, as they get older, then it becomes more important to do it closer together. And by the time my 10-year-old, absolutely, I encourage her to, to bathe every day. But my younger ones, it depends on what they're doing that day. If they're really busy, get really sweaty, especially boys, then I definitely want them. But if it's been kind of a calm day, um, then I don't push it too much and I'll let him go, you know, a day in between without a bath. What do you think on the, the idea of how often to bathe your children? I wouldn't say I have the biggest scientific background in bathing. I mean, I understand some microbiological phenomena associated with it. Most of my experience here just comes from being a parent, too. And, and I'm actually pretty aligned with you on that. So when my son was very young, I mean, we, we probably bathe him every four days, something like that. Mm-hmm. We will increase the bathing when there's any kind of evidence of skin inflammation. So, you know, babies, they get diaper rash. Uh, they can get this thing called cradle cap. 
which is sort of like crustiness on the scalp. And in my just personal experience, if you start increasing the bathing frequency when you're having problems with that, it tends to help the rash. I do think that you can overdo it with bathing, especially when children are young. I mean, you you know, that's one of the amazing things about babies is their skin is perfect, you know, it's and it's so delicate. And I think that makes it more sensitive to some minor infections that like what causes diaper rash, but also makes it more sensitive to the cleaning chemicals in soap. We call those surfactants. Uh, and the same way those strip away dirt, they can strip away protective oils in the skin. And what that can do is roughen the skin and then kind of set the stage for infection. So it's really a balancing act between protecting the skin oils and keeping skin in its normal, healthy, intact state, but then also cleaning it when you start to have problems with rashes and irritation. So, and, and I'm exactly the same way as, as my son gets older and older, I find myself bathing him more and more. And certainly by the time he's 10, I think, you know, taking a bath or shower every day would be great. We've talked a lot about hand washing. So I know we tell our kids to uh, sing, you know, sing happy birthday twice or sing the ABCs while they're washing their hand. And once they've done that, that's long enough. What do you think? Is there a certain time frame that they need to wash their hands in order to be safe? Yeah, it's a, you know, the ABCs is a pretty good rule of thumb. One thing I see some, mainly adults get in the bad habit of is not using soap. Soap is this chemical that's designed to grab onto water on the one side and dirt on the other. And that's how it literally grabs the dirt molecules and strips them off the hands. It grabs germs just exactly the same way. Huh. So washing your hands just like like a quick rinse with water under the sink. I mean, honestly, you may not do anything at all and you might just be as well off. So using soap is very important. Uh, I think the duration of hand washing has to do more with just making sure you scrub all the different places on the hands. Uh, when surgeons prep for surgery, they focus on the, the nail beds and the fingernail areas because they studies show they're where most of the germs will hang out and hide. Uh, as far as children go, I think if you teach them how to hand wash and how to at least make sure their sort of habitual hand wash scrubs all the parts of their hands, like the top, the bottom, the finger, you know, the fingernail, et cetera, that usually will take about as long as the ABCs take to do. And just make sure they're using soap. And, uh, and I think that's a great hand washing technique. Does it matter if it's liquid soap or regular soap? Because I sometimes get freaked out by just hand soap that's, you know, like sitting there in a bar. I feel like it has been collecting germs and, you know, because my hands were dirty when I picked it up last time and whatever. But do you notice anything, you know, from more of a, you know, a science standpoint on liquid soap versus bars of soap? Yeah, I'm, I don't know how much I should tell you guys. This might freak you out a little bit. So. Oh, no. um, so we've actually studied this quite a bit, and I've kept up on the literature for liquid soaps. So about three years ago, some people started taking samples of refillable liquid soaps in public restrooms. Uh, do you remember, like, the, they're like, kind of like clear rectangles you fill up with, like, that, I don't know what color, amber-colored soap. Yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah. Those used to be a lot more popular. Those are really bad. Germs actually can find a way to grow in those because you get a little water in there. You get these little um, microenvironments where the germs can grow. So in some cases, you're actually putting more germs on your hands than you were taking off. Um. That's that's pretty much been addressed now because the companies were quick to make uh, self-contained, non-refillable uh, soap dispensers. So that's not so much of an issue anymore. But bulk soap, if you ever see, if you ever see some gross-looking bulk soap in a restroom, use it with caution. As far as bar soap goes, the components of the soap in the bar are really concentrated. That's that's a pretty harsh environment for germs. We've studied that in the lab. There's no reason to be concerned about germs on bar soap, even if it's sort of the wet squishy part of the soap underneath. So, so it's a wet environment. Typically that would harbor microorganisms, but because the soap molecules are so tough on germs, they're not disinfectants, but they're, they're just not conducive to germ growth. You really don't see a lot of growth, growth on a bar soap. Even if the bar soap is dirty, you know how sometimes you pick up a bar and it like already looks dirty from somebody else? Like that grosses me out too. It's probably fine. Okay. 
Thanks so much for this great conversation and to everyone listening for joining us today. For more information, or if you want to learn more about our expert, visit our website at newmommymedia.com. This conversation continues for members of our Parent Savers Club. For more information about the Parent Savers Club, visit the members portion of our website. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile, and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time, there's Granger, offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Okay, so before we wrap up our show today, we have a comment from one of our listeners, and I love getting email from listeners. This is so fantastic. It goes straight to my inbox and my phone, and I'm able to get it right away, and seriously, it just warms my heart. Obviously, we want to help as many parents out there as possible, so when you comment in, whether it's leaving us a review on iTunes, or you send us an email, or you post something to our Facebook page, we just really appreciate it. So this one comes from uh, Veronica, and uh, Veronica was commenting on an, a recent episode we released about um, instilling self-confidence in your kids. And so uh, she commented about this episode. She said, this was the first podcast that I heard from Parent Savers, and I really enjoyed it. I look forward to listening to future podcasts. Love the garden analogy. So if you've listened to this episode, it was like a common theme throughout the whole episode. We were talking about a garden analogy. So that's what she was referring to. She says, I love the garden analogy and useful tips on how to help my 19-month-old and my three-and-a-half-year-old to be more confident. It was validating to hear that even even though I don't tend to the garden, quote unquote, regularly, um, I can definitely take opportunities when they arise to encourage and to build their self-confidence. So again, that was a really fun episode that we did. Great expert on the show. And uh, be sure to check that out if you haven't already. So um, if you're on iTunes, it's available on iTunes. You can go to our website and check it out. And Veronica, again, thank you so much for sending this in. If you guys have a comment for us, we would love to hear it. You can go to newmommymedia.com and send us an email through the contact portion of our website or or you can also leave us a voicemail straight through our website as well. So just click on that gray banner that says send voicemail and you could just use the microphone on your computer and send it that way. Okay, that wraps up our show for today. We appreciate you listening to Parent Savers. Don't forget to check out our sister show, Preggy Pals for Expectant Parents, The Boob Group for Moms Who Breastfeed, Twin Talks for Parents of Multiples, and Newbies for those going through it for the first time. This is Parent Savers empowering new parents. This has been a new mommy media production. The information and material contained in this episode are presented for educational purposes only. Statements and opinions expressed in this episode are not necessarily those of New Mommy Media and should not be considered facts. While such information and materials are believed to be accurate, it is not intended to replace or substitute for professional medical advice or care and should not be used for diagnosing or treating health care problem or disease or prescribing any medication. If you have questions or concerns regarding your physical or mental health or the health of your baby, please seek assistance from a qualified health care provider. How would you like to have your own show on the New Mommy Media Network? We're expanding our lineup and looking for great content. If you're a business or organization interested in learning more about our co-branded podcasts, visit our website at newmommymedia.com.
Hey, mamas. Don't forget to check out Mighty Moms. It's our online community built for new moms just like you. Not only can you connect with other moms, but you can also join us backstage for special mom-only online events. And you'll also be notified when we're recording so you can join us as a special guest. Visit our website, newmommymedia.com, and click on the Mighty Moms banner. It's free. That's newmommymedia.com. See you there.